podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Five-year plan transfer deadline day special uh, for, for January. Uh, I'm here with Selzy. How are you doing, Selzy? I'm very well, thank you, sir. Good avond, as they say, isn't it in Dutch? Good avond. good. It's like German. Good avond is German, so it's yeah. kind of. I mean, Dutch it is, is a German language. Good avond is Dutch. Yeah. 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 Why are we talking also, Dutch? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's the whole the whole talk about Belgium earlier and uh, the the you know agents and stuff. Um, we're also joined by Dom. How are you doing, Dom? I'm very well, thank you, sir. Um, all all is well. I'm, I don't have any Dutch to offer though, so That's you can just talk English like Steve McLaren instead in a Dutch accent. It's very good. <laughs> right. So we're, we've had a, a really busy transfer window. Uh, busy in terms of lots of chat, but not actually in terms of lots of lots of action. Um, it's kind of it, it's it, it, it plasters over the most necess- necessary areas, doesn't it, Dom? But it, it it in an ideal scenario, we would have maybe made a few more signings. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think we have the have the context of of January. It's not a month that Palace traditionally do a lot of business, unless they're properly desperate in terms of relegation struggles. So when you when you're sitting twelfth on the table. Even if you think that's a false position or not, given the the recent form, it's it's hardly surprising that 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 business was fairly focused and and not laced with with panic. Um, Patrick, Patrick Vieira has spoken consistently, really since early December time, about the need for experience uh, and almost I don't know presence on on, on the pitch, uh, physicality, and I think he's relatively satisfied that he he got both of those qualities in the two players that did end up signing on deadline day uh, yes i'm sure he would have loved to have had more options up front and possibly at fullback but uh, those would be areas of the pitch that palace have to address when they start what will has to be by necessity a very busy summer transfer window at the end of the season um adam what are your thoughts on on the transfer window as a whole for palace um, I think it'd be fair to say I'm underwhelmed a little bit, to be honest, and a bit disappointed. I think, you know, we've brought in a couple of midfield players that was certainly a necessity, but we look very light 
in the forward areas now as well. And I think I think we've got five forward players for three positions essentially. And that that was I I I'm really surprised that they've allowed themselves to get to the end of the end of the month without bringing another forward player in. I mean, there was, from what I'm understanding, the um, the Semenyo deal was, uh, you know, in place and agreed with the agent and the, and uh, Palace never went forward and, and completed on the, on the club side. And, you know, I think it was thrown around and decided that it wasn't something that they wanted to do. But I felt that that was a, a very decent potential incoming with a very low risk to it in the fact that I think the figure was £9 million and the wages were relatively low for a Premier League player in our squad and I think at £9 million even if it doesn't work out you'd have a reasonable chance of selling him on in 12 months time or something like that if he's if he's not good enough, but a kid from South London, I think that that would, you know, perhaps have a decent chance play anywhere across the front line. I think he would have been a, a useful asset. You know, I'm, I'm my biggest concern with Palace at the moment, as we know, you know, recording here the night before Manchester United, you know, we haven't scored a goal in open play in the Premier League in seven matches or something, and it is a it is a concern, I have to say, and you know, I, I was really surprised to see that there was such a a lack of of urgency and desire to bring in additional forward players. I mean, our squad now has something like ten players for the three places in central midfield. I'm just trying to think of the two new players uh, and Decorey. And you've got Hughes, you've got Luca, you've got Gyro, David Ozo's coming to contention, you've got Eze, um, who else? Schlapp. There's somebody else that I've missed so far. Um, I'm trying to think who that is. Let me just remind myself. But the, that is that is a that is a lot of bodies, you're right. For yeah. for that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean MacArthur, he's just, MacArthur, sorry, yeah, is the other that, one yeah. I missed. Yeah. So there's ten players there for three positions. And then, really, the front three is Wilfred, Edouard, Elise, Ayu, and Mateta. So mm. I think we'd have to question whether our forward options are are enough and good enough in that sense. I, I, assuming, Rob, in, in the sense that I think now he's got these midfield players, he'll probably go back to playing with a, with a six and two eights in midfield mm. rather than the, mm. the two and the three in front sort of thing. I don't. I don't think he'll do that now. So, you know, we have got a, a, a you know a, a big number of midfield players, and I think we're probably three bodies light in the uh, in the forward options instead. Which, you know, I guess if you're looking at the summertime, that's an area that's going to need great attention, and that costs quite a lot of money and. You know, particularly with Wilfred's situation, will be interesting. So that and the and the right back situation probably be the most pressing. Central defensively, you know, the emergence of Chris Richards has been a a big boost. So perhaps we're we're just one 
you know, James Tompkins coming to the end of his contract, I would imagine we'll look to bring in a, a younger centre back there. But there's probably bits of work to do all over, but but less in midfield now, at least with uh, with these options. But obviously, Lekonga is uh, is only until the end of the season, so we'll see how it works out and hope that these two players can make a a good impact on our on our group. Do you think um, that we might see Eze kind of taking a more advanced role and maybe perhaps being, you know, if, if Edouard doesn't start in as a centre forward uh, or plays on the wing and then that, that essentially that if we end up moving Edouard into a centre forward position, Eze then ends up taking place on the wing a little bit more. Uh, but it just perhaps with having, I guess with having um, Lukonga in the team and then having... Um, having um, Ahmada as well. Although it, it sounds like Ahmada is more of a project player rather than an immediate mm. kind of drop into the, into the side situation. But that it feels like it gives us a few more options in terms of what we're doing with the midfield. And maybe that would potentially free up SA to be a bit more advanced and actually have a little bit less defensive responsibility. Does that sound like a logical kind of conclusion, Dom? Yeah, I, I suspect that that Eze is considered an, a, a very much an advanced number eight or a number 10 in the way that they want to play. Um, if we look at some of the, was it the performance at Anfield earlier this season where Wilf played up top on his own and Eze was operating as a 10 then and it, yeah. and it, it did a job that night. So there was an assist and a, for Wolf's goal. It, it's, I, I don't know. Ebbs is a sort of a player that I guess can fit in a, a fair few roles, but I don't think he's got the blistering pace to thrive on the wing in the Premier League necessarily. Um, it, it's maybe the 10 is, is the option for him, but look, Old Trafford, Majesty United on Saturday will, will provide a, an indication of the way Vieira's thinking. I, I, I wonder whether in that game he, he ends up playing, Eze back in the midfield three and Palace's 4-3-3 is basically a 4-5-1 for most of that game when we don't have the ball. But you know, these are tweaks that he can he can now perform. He, he, look, I go back to my original one. He he wanted experience. Did he get experience? Well, probably not, but he has got Jimmy Mack back in training now and might be in contention to play to get some game time in the weeks coming ahead. Um and in Albert Sambi Lakonga, he has got a player that has got what, 15 Premier League starts at Arsenal under his belt since going there in 2021, 29 appearances altogether. Um, and then the dynamism and the power and the energy that he wanted is probably going to be provided by a, a Hamada operating as that number eight even when he gets an opportunity, because as you said, I think he's very much one that's bought for the future. He's only, I think he's played 20 games or something for for Stuttgart, but he does come with a good reputation. He's someone that they've seen before. They liked him. Uh, They saw his development at at Juventus as well as a a kid. Um, He's got the technique potentially, but he'll be raw. He'll be raw and he'll need a lot of nurturing into this team. I I, I gather that Lukonga is a player that Dougie had, previously scouted while he was at Anderlecht and, and had Arsenal not been in for him, it might have been a player that we would have looked at signing at some point. Um, so maybe he's got his man. I mean, it may just be for six months, but it, mm. uh, there's there's thinking behind it, isn't there? Yeah, I, I, th- I think he might complement Dukure quite well. 
I, I don't think I don't think he's going to be the tough tackler, another tough tackler in there. So you got to get the right balance. Uh, I actually feel a bit sorry for Will Hughes because I thought he did well against Manchester United in yeah. the, the recent game. Um, didn't get much for looking against Newcastle, but he's another option to have in there. But I think if you've got a, somebody that's going to intercept and tackle and be be physical and imposing like Decore, then you want a, a, a another a, a passer. I know Decore has got the ability on the on the on the ball as well but a passer alongside him who can maybe slip passes through the through the lines etc and allow maybe create a bit of space for your release say and Eze and Wolf when he's back and Edouard to in which to thrive and I think that's the that's the the, the thinking behind it um we, we it all has to it comes with a caveat that he's not arriving in particularly good form. I mean, his yeah. performance for Arsenal at Manchester City in the FA Cup only last week was pretty dire. You only have to look at Granit Xhaka's complaints on the pitch at some of Lukonga's um, concentration wavering, let's put it like that. Um, his positioning was very, very poor at times. So it's I, I don't think we're going to have a player that's, you know, arriving at the club, riding the crest of a wave and, you know, playing at the, the top of his game and et cetera. It's going to, it's going to take a while of to rehabilitate him confidence wise, but feeling integral and getting game time at Palace should help that. It, it, it's a very interesting kind of situation, the, the Lukonga signing, because it, it, it gives us a little bit of quality. At least it feels like quality that the fact he's come from Arsenal, the fact Arsenal spent what 17 million euros on him, um, but it, it, in terms of the, the midfield presence, it's looking at his stats, he doesn't look like a Gallagher replacement. So it, it, it does make you wonder in terms of how he's going to be played, what we're going to do in terms of midfield. What are your thoughts on that, Adam? Is, is it really, is it just an, a Gallagher replacement that we needed? Or is it actually someone who is maybe capable of doing things a little bit differently or, you know, just being, just because he's a different player doesn't, you know, it, it it's not a bad uh, thing. He's not a Gallagher replacement, essentially. I think Ahmada's more in the style of Gallagher, from what I've gathered. Um, this guy seems more of a passer with with good quality, but you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm not seen enough of him up up close, really, um, Albert uh, Sambi Lukonga, to give you any real detail you know a, a real good sort of feeling about him um i think what's been clear is that the manager obviously is thinks that a few of the midfield players are a surplus and not what he needs you know he's he's been reluctant to use will hughes he's not really played luca he's not played gyro at all and he brought david ozo on in the last game who was 17 years old so that probably gave you a bit of a um a bit of an indication as to to where he's at macarthur i think he's very much a fan of based on his selections last year but obviously we haven't been able to call on him so i think although i said to you you know we had 10 options there's probably only a few that the manager will really want to consider and as you said with the with the you know the potential of of Eze or Schlupp really playing in a sort of front line three but I wouldn't necessarily say like uh, Dom said that there that that would be perfect for either of them but um, that might be the case you know when we're so 
so limited in terms of number in that area and options. I mean, realistically, at the moment, you can put three on the pitch and two on the bench, but you've got Wilfred missing from that tomorrow. So you've literally only got four forward players to choose from and one sub. I think probably a team that's been in the Premier League for 10 years should be doing better than having one forward substitute that they can field in a Premier League fixture. It is Mateta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, again, as you're, as you're acutely aware, I'm not Mateta's number one fan and he hasn't shown up too much. And they had interest from Everton on deadline to sell Mateta but they couldn't sell because they didn't have anyone else. Uh, And that would have just further depleted our ranks. But we'd have probably pretend Dougie asked Everton for, for a number that was, I think, double the cost of Mateta. So if we'd been able to sell him on for 16, 15 to 20 million pounds, I think that would have been unbelievable business to, uh, to take that money and move him on. Um, but that opportunity may well now be of have gone and we may have missed it. So you never I mean, know. It I, might be it might be the catalyst to him scoring five or six goals because it was the last time, wasn't it? Well yeah, maybe. Maybe. Every window will just end every window will just end up trying to sell him and yeah. score six goals. Twelve goal a season well, striker. Perfect. <laughs> just, just maybe that's the uh Maybe that's the case and it might work, you know. But I have to say, you know, because of our limitations in that area, we we didn't even have the choice. And I think, right. you know, it's it's a bit of a, an indictment really that, you know, we've got five forward players. So if we have one, we pick up one more injury or suspension while Wilfred's out, technically we can't put another forward player on the bench, can we? It's uh, because on on the other side of it, Malcolm's gone out on loan. John Kamani Gordon's out on loan. Jez Raksaki's out on loan. And in all honesty, I'm actually in favour of the fact these players are being loaned to improve their experience, but not really when we haven't got any players ourselves because effectively those players will be the next in line, really, given what we've got. We could end up in a situation with one or two injuries where we're going into games with nine substitutes and we haven't got a forward, a proper forward player amongst them to, uh, to bring in and change matches. So much as I, I often could be critical of the manager's game management and changes, I'd have to defend him also in the respect to the fact that I don't think he's necessarily always got the options he needs to, to change it. And i that's the bit that's most concerning me really about this situation after the window that we could be a bit light and a bit short and already we're struggling to score goals in open play. Yeah. (laughs) 
At Vast National Bank, we value our billions of customers. Whether you're in Dubai or Tokyo, or just London, we care. So bank big with us. Sure, your local community bank may seem friendly and helpful. Their small business loans may even help your town grow and prosper or whatever. But would they help you liquidate an offshore account to bedazzle your private jet? <laughs> no. Bank with a community bank and help your community grow. Find yours at banklocally.org. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Dom, do you think that there was any truth in the whole Gallagher story? The fact that were Palace interested in, in trying to get him in again? Or is that just one of those like two plus two equals five situations? I think there will always be interest in Conor Gallagher from Crystal Palace and a number of other teams. I think Everton were another one of the sides that tried to test Chelsea's resolve on that, though quite where they were going to get the money from. I God only knows, because I think most of the Anthony Gordon money was has gone into other areas of, of that club, but that's another story. The um look while Chelsea was spending three over three hundred million pounds on, on players and ended up breaking the, the Premier League record on deadline day with the arrival of Enzo Fernandez, I think Conor Gallagher will have been looking at that thinking, well, where exactly do I fit into into this team? Uh Gallagher is one of Chelsea's sellable assets because anything any money they get for him represents profit on the books because they he came through their youth system yeah um it's it's uh at some point i'm sure possibly in the summer they'll they'll look at it all they've got 33 first team players at stanford bridge and conor gallagher might be a way of actually bizarrely having spent 300 million with the way that that bookkeeping is in 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 premier league football you could sell conor gallagher for 
35 40 million pounds and you're actually making a profit over the over the financial year it's it's that crazy the way that amortization works and and these bookkeeping methods but i think it will definitely there was definitely interest there i think if if gallagher had been available to buy that palace probably would have found the money for it from somewhere because i think he's that they recognize the importance that he had last season and significance and, and the fact that him arriving would actually almost banish all thought of relegation from from crystal palace for this season but um as far as he was concerned i suspect he would have preferred a loan um and then have a look at things in the summer assessing where things are going and in the end even that wasn't his preference and as we record this podcast it's Conor Gallagher lining up alongside World Cup winning Enzo Fernandez in the Chelsea midfield against Fulham it's he's playing he's in the team he's actually he's actually complimenting Fernandez quite well because when you've got a classy sitter alongside you who's going to draw people to them and but have the skill and ability to get the ball out of between out of his feet and into space gallagher's gallagher will find he's got more 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 space in which to operate and he'll probably make more of an impact in the second half of the season so so i don't think we missed out the on on him particularly because i don't think he was ever properly there but i think palace will always be in the debate around conor gallagher because of the impact that he had last season and if he ever does become available he might be someone they put push the boat out for yeah so it's just interesting because i mean it's he, if he, his determination to try and make a, a success fit at Chelsea is, is commendable, really. I mean, he's you know he must be watching all these players coming in and thinking, how am I going to actually fit in? But he believes that he can. So um, I don't know. I, I feel like after what he did last season for us, good luck to him. I, I wish him the best. But it's it's one of those things that it, it's kind of like that ex-girlfriend you can't get off your mind. <laughs> and it makes me worry for Palace a little bit because you, you then end up, you know, d- does the club end up then comparing any future possible signings to Conor Gallagher? Well, is he Conor? We want to wait for Conor a little bit longer, see what happens. And yeah, it's just... I, I think, Rob, it's a bit of a... a bit of a funny... I, I like Conor Gallagher as a player, but I think he's totally overrated by all of our fan base, you know, in that respect. You know, I think he... He did very well for us, and he's very decent. But to think there isn't another player out there that we can find cast in the net that can do something similar for us, to me, would would be crazy, I think. And, uh, you know, Conor Gallagher, I know for sure that we tried during the window, and we were on it, um, because I'd sort of heard it from both ends. But, but they... You know, Conor Gallagher seems committed to try and make a go of it at Chelsea from from what I'm hearing. There was some talk at some point that if they bought in the midfield players that they did, that that he may be allowed to to leave on loan at the end of the window. But that's that's not really happened. And he's made no attempt, it seems, to sort of say, you know, I need to go out and play more regular football so I don't think I don't think that's uh, you know that that you know it's not realistic I think to just keep pinning your pinning your sort of transfer policy on 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 this player in case he becomes available I think you know as Dom said earlier and it's one of the bits that concerns me that we're not particularly progressive in this respect. It seemed 
it seemed after the summer window 18 months ago that our transfer policy had changed for the better and we were signing sort of some younger, exciting players and made some very good purchases. But since then, it's not really been a... Did we do what did we do last January? Did we do anything last January? Matessa, that was that. But he was already there basically. We just turned that into a permanent deal, having been ready to ship him off to St. Etienne two months earlier, uh, until he scored a couple of goals in that COVID period when we were a bit short on players. And then, and then, you know, this summer, you know, Sam Johnston, you know, very good goalkeeper and a you know, a very competitive situation there. DeCorey, Chris Richards has shown up a little better, you know, in the recent games where we've had a chance to see him now and what he's capable of. Malcolm, you know, has gone out on loan, but it wasn't too much there. And I was hoping probably that that would change but in, in January. But we're just not that progressive. You know, we seem to find money for Conor Gallagher if he's available, as Dom said, or if we're in the bottom three, we spend money. But I think this isn't this isn't a way to 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 recruit players on this basis. We should be looking to improve all of the time and bring people in that improve the squad. You know, not just be fixated by signing previous players or previous loan players all the time and and not only interested in, in spending money if there's a real possibility of relegation because, I, as I've said to you all, all all through, I think there is a real possibility of relegation and I think not signing those forward players, may that may come home to roost at some point if we're not careful. I'm, I'm, I, I would be much happier now if we had a couple of extra forward options at this stage. I would be very confident in our in us staying up comfortably but it is very tight it's not it's not uh we might be 12th but we are not so far clear of of relegation that uh that it's that comfortable with a lot of difficult fixtures on the horizon and and a shortage of goals you know so i i would have been far happier if we'd if we've been in that position and you know, I'd be far happier if we, if we had a, a a better policy, full stop, in terms of recruiting players. And I don't, I don't think necessarily that is particularly on the manager or Dougie in the respect. To, well, Dougie is the bloke that's identifying the players and bringing them in. But I think he can identify players all day long if he wants to. But. Ultimately, it's on the ownership to decide whether they want to spend their money or not. And spending it only when we're in the bottom three doesn't doesn't smack of being a a, a a progressive club in the way that perhaps I thought we should be at this stage. I, I, I thought I thought that the um, when you look at this midwinter, I know I know we're sitting here, and I know there are practical things that that, that we need. And Celsi's absolutely right; a couple more forward bodies would be brilliant. I, I think fullback cover would be excellent as well. Um, and there was obviously the one Bissaka link early in the before he suddenly started playing like he was a Crystal Palace player again. Um, I think all of those things are really difficult in January. I don't think that was ever going to happen in January. I don't. I look at the, the Premier League spending as a whole. And Chelsea sits out completely 
completely different to everybody else. I think Southampton were next biggest spenders at 60 million and they've bought two forwards in on deadline day who we don't have a clue whether they're going to settle in the Premier League or not. They're taking a massive, massive gamble on that because they're bottom of the table and they have to make that gamble. They spent, I think they spent 40 million on those two players, didn't they? Bournemouth have spent over 50 million pounds. Again, they need a massive gamble. They've, they've, they've been in far worse form than we have since the resumption of the Premier League. I mean, they've barely scored a goal at all. Um, I think it's just one, in fact. Um, and it's it's these issues that Selzy identifies are not issues that we should have been looking at in January. These are things that should have been sorted out last summer. That's when we should have been planning ahead for the season because no club wants to do it apart. And Chelsea's just weird. And Chelsea got their own reasons for doing it because of FFP and exploiting UEFA and realising they made a mess of the summer window as well, um, wanting to make a big splash as new owners. But but we, no other club wants to spend money in January. They just don't because you don't, it's completely random in a way that the, the, the summer isn't. To, well, the summer can be, but it isn't as bad. So I think all these these issues stem from from a lack of urgency in the summer and the sense that we just come off an excellent run-in, oh, and we'll be fine because we've just had an excellent run-in. But actually, Selzy's right. To progress, you need to then repeat what we did the last summer, summer of 2021, and bring in players of that calibre, spend that kind of money. But the reality is, as I've said too many times, for my own liking, the only time that Palace have ever done that since the, the big January splurge in 2017 when we were genuinely going down under Allardyce and, and then the money came in and they stayed up. The only time we've done it is when we've attracted external investment through John Texter. And the money that he put into the club is the money that we spent effectively. Now, we don't have that this time, not to the same extent. There might be some more money going in on, on the shares that was reported recently during january but not not to the same extent in fact you could argue that that money that came in from texter they probably have spent on on the loan fee for la conga and the hamada money for the for the fee so it's like all of these issues on recruitment the only way to make it better and to become progressive is to get the ownership issue sorted out. What is the ambition of these owners? What do they want to do? Do they all share the same ambition? Do they all share the same focus on Crystal Palace Football Club as opposed to other clubs in their portfolios? Do they all share Steve Parrish's focus on Crystal Palace? Because that is on Palace alone. Does Steve Parrish have the means to, well, to allow these guys to spend the money? Does he have the willingness or does he want them to spend that money? These are all the big questions that surround Crystal Palace's ownership structure. And until that's sorted out, we will never be the progressive club in the way that Selzy wants us to be, because we can't be. For, for Palace, do you think that the window, the next, the, the, the only thing we can really do if we're not going to adjust the kind of have more money come in is if we actually sell players? So like Mark Gay, for example, there's been some random chat about him possibly being of interest to Tottenham. If Tottenham come in for a bid with a bid for sixty million pounds for Mark Gay, would you you, you would have to? When was the last time Tottenham came well, in for a young English no, player no, bidding no, sixty million pounds? Twenty five million, they'd probably bid maybe ten. 
<laughs> you know what Spurs are like? They just lowball you at all times. It's so 25, here's 10, here's five. Oh, actually, can we have more free trades? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, Doherty, yeah. That, but that's no. the structure, Rob. That You're right. That's what Palace want to do. And that makes sense. That's why you buy young players. You develop them, make them better, and you sell them at vast profit. That's the sensible model. That's what clubs of Palace's stature have always done and the ones that, that work it, it might have a fine it might have a shelf life because eventually you won't replace them to the same um abilities you have done in the past because of the very nature of, of football recruitment but that's that is the panacea that's where we want to be we want to be able to yeah in the summer if it takes us selling one player for 60 million pounds and that allows us to buy six seven eight others then brilliant but I don't think that's we're ready for that next summer because we're next summer we're losing, we're potentially losing our leading goal scorer and main attacking threat because he's going on a free transfer potentially possibly Mateta. hopefully not but you never know <laughs> but that's the problem that's where this yeah. that's where that all falls down because yeah. as Celsi said earlier if you're going to try and replace Wolf you're not necessarily spending thirty million pounds to get somebody that's going to come in and hit the ground running you're going to have to spend a lot more than that. As far as attacking options go, there was some chat about um, Alanga possibly joining on loan again uh, from Man U. That didn't really look like it. W- I mean, it, it was one of those um, Michael Bridge commenting from the Tottenham ground about Crystal Palace matters saying, you know, there's pos- possibly one more signing. And it turned out that it was Alanga. There w- was, that, was that one of those last minute kind of, oh, we need to do something situations to try and resolve it or... Was that is that a player that, that Palace have had interest in previously? Do you know, Adam? I've not heard his name mentioned right. prior to transfer deadline day. But I was aware that Dougie had several players on sort of the weekend thrown at him that perhaps weren't necessarily people that they thought they might get or could get. Um, and again... I think Alanga would have been a useful addition, but um, it, it's, as Dom said, and, and he really, that was a great summary, Dom, there, you know, your 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 little chat there about the, the ownership situation and what's got to change. You know, it, it it is the key point, really, in terms of where are we going and what are we doing? Because it feels, at the moment, to me, that, you know, it almost is like a, we've kind of got this far and I don't know if we're going to go any further now. And it's, and I understand it because the, the, in terms of spending money, you could spend a lot of money for very little additional prize money for going up the league a few places. But there is also the point that you have to keep progressing and you have to keep moving forward. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, we, we want to right to sort of dream, really, and we want to see, you know, we want to see Crystal Palace win the Champions League. Whether that'll ever happen is another matter, but that's what we want to aim for, don't we? We, we, we compete in every game to try and win. We want to win the Premier League. You know, we know that's difficult. We know that's very, very unrealistic in expectation, well, they probably said that about Leicester City about six or seven years ago, didn't they? That you know, I for one was certainly one who never thought that could happen, but it did. But I think we need to, I think we need to sort of take next steps, really. And 
you know, even if I think back to sort of Alan Pardew's period in charge, I know they've definitely, you know, the hierarchy have definitely been stung by the, you know, big money Sacco and Benteke situation and all that sort of stuff. But it's just normal now. You know, Bournemouth are spending 30-odd million pounds on players. You know, it's it's normal. And you can't be left behind. And that's the risk. You know, we're saying we don't know whether this player will work or that player will work. But you are in a league where, regardless of what you think or where your club is, everyone else around you has got owners that are putting money in and trying to get themselves out of relegation trouble or or pushing on pretty much. So it is a, you know, it's it's really hard to know, as Dom said, you know, where are we going at the moment? Like what what what's the what's the sort of next stage? Where what's the what's the goal here? Because, you know, we we need, you know, you, you go back to that 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 period under Alan Pardew, for instance, and I would have said then we were actually sort of really good at squad building in that time, you know, in just in terms of in the summer, the three or four players in the squad would be turned over. We'd bring in a few new faces that would strengthen the overall position, if you like, and create much greater competition. And perhaps people that were starting regularly then had, you know, very competitive situations for their for their place in the team and so on. And you had, you had, I think, you know, a, 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 a time when two or three players, four players were improved upon every season and went out the door. And you felt that every season that passed in general, that the squad did okay and got better. You went into each season feeling more confident, if you like, with the, with the group of players. But, you know, from Roy's time onwards, Roy's squad that he initially took on versus Roy's squad that he that, that he ended up with at the end of his period in charge four seasons, I think you could say there was a quite a dip in level from from the first year that he had players at their you know, some of them at the peak of their powers and people like Ruben Loftus cheek to the to the last season where you know, we we had quite a lot of sticking plasters, let's say, and short term, short term fixes. So, you know, given as I said, I thought the following summer we'd actually addressed that and were really sort of progressive again. But it seems to have stalled somewhat. And I know Dom said, you know, it's difficult in January, but the the word in the in the uh, in the summer was, oh well, there's only. Um, 14 games or whatever it is until the World Cup. And then, you know, there's only another couple. It'll only be 16 games or something when the transfer window opens again. And we managed to get through the whole of January without signing a player. And January and August, that tends to be too much of an, a regular occurrence for my liking. Now, again, I'll appreciate that sometimes the deals like the dominoes all happen at the end. <laughs> but I think there have been several times in recent seasons where I've thought August and and uh, in particular and, and sometimes January where you don't improve early enough 
that you you sort of throw too many fixtures in that period where, you know, we talked about, you know, even the first game that Patrick Vieira was in charge at Chelsea, and I was really, really unhappy with the fact how ill-prepared we were to start a Premier League season. You know, we had five players on the bench that day or something and never made a first-team appearance. It's a Premier League after nine seasons. Do you know what I mean? Now, I know I'm going back 18 months here, but my point is that you can't be satisfied or you shouldn't be letting that happen in that respect. You know, you've got to be better and better prepared for that. And I don't know why that is. And obviously, Dom has posed the, the questions there about the the hierarchy and what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And, you know, our, our, um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, that you can't question Steve Parrish's commitment to Crystal Palace. He's been about the best thing that's ever happened to Crystal Palace, quite honestly. But, you know, the, we've now reached a point where Steve Parrish isn't exactly in full control. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, you know, what What does Josh Harris want? What does David Blitzer want? Do they want to make the club progressive? Are they not spending money because they're not in full control? Uh, you know, where's John Texter in all this now? And what, what does he want? You know, all of these questions are not really answered or understood. You know, we read about them being interested in, in Chelsea or Liverpool or Manchester United or whatever it may be. You know, and there's still this big part of me that sees this massive opportunity for Crystal Palace because of its geographical location to to really turn into a really super football club if they want to make it one. But do they want to make it one? And, you know, I think from a, from a fan's perspective, I think they have to be careful that, that some of the fan base may become disenchanted or, or or lose interest over time if they feel the club is not, you know, after 10 years, not competing in the way perhaps that they should be. I mean, this is all very easy to say, of course, and yeah. in practice is, is very different. But, you know, I'm, you know, my overriding feeling is we've waited till the end of January and we still ended up with five forward players struggling to score goals and question it. And you'd question how many of them are even uh, good enough in any case, you know. So I think, I think, kind of going off on what Dom said, the thing that I find really challenging to kind of comprehend, and I, I did, I, I'm guilty of writing that a tweet thread about this on the FYP account. We knew six months into Conor Gallagher's loan signing that he probably wasn't going to be coming back this season. So we knew that that midfield issue would be a midfield issue going into the summer, prior to the summer. So we're talking three or four months before the summer. The entirety of the summer, we didn't sign a midfielder to kind of take his place in the midfield. We really could have probably done with two midfielders at that time anyway. We've gone into this January window knowing that we needed midfielders and in fairness palace signed two of them and i think that's something that we should be very we should be pleased about i think it's a good thing but in the process of of that happening we then also ended up with two with wilfred zaha getting injured at a time 
that, that probably get, gave us a little bit of leeway to maybe find a replacement, to sign a replacement. We already needed more attackers. So you're, you're not just dealing with the deficit of Wilfred Zaha. You're dealing with the deficit of Wilfred Zaha against the background of needing at least one more, if not two more options in attack. You then look at, for me, Semenyo, I kind of think Semenyo would have been the kind of player that you would want to sign. A player with a point to prove, did reasonably well at, at Bristol City, played you know, played at the World Cup, which, again, you don't sign players on the back of a World Cup performance. But I just think at £9 million, I just don't, th- I don't think that's a gamble. I think that's actually £9 million in the modern market. That's, that's, it's not, it really isn't that significant. It, it, to me, that really isn't that significant. And we're talking about a player who's scoring goals in the championship. You're not just talking about a player who's scoring goals in, you know, Scotland against Wraith <laughs> Rovers or any one of those. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not talking about him scoring 30 <laughs> goals a se- 30 goals in the season against a bunch of semi-pro, um, you know, farmers. Um, <laughs> but, but we're talking about a guy who's playing, who has done reasonably well if you look at his points per i think goals per minute it's a it's a good return and and to me that would have been a a, a good signing attacking fast uh you know strong seems like a a player who knows where the goal is that's a, a, a gamble you can take and palace just don't seem to do the gambling side of things that well they don't seem to you know you look at Brighton. I, I hate looking at Brighton as, a, as an example to follow because I don't think they really are. I think we, Brighton have got a benefactor who's, who's willing to write off all of that, that spending and use that money for him. You know, that's it's a different kind of way of looking at, at football. They they owe this guy two hundred and fifty million pounds in the in the scheme of things. He can just write that off. Good for them. Palace don't want to do that, and I understand that. But you look at you look at Brighton, and when they signed. Um, um, What's his name? The little ratty French striker that they had who scored against us. Mope. Uh, uh, he 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 signed. They signed him. He played for them. What through two seasons? Premier League football. Scored goals that kept them in the division. Did reasonably well. Sold him for fourteen million pounds, which I think was about three million pounds less than they bought him for. Not a bad. Not in in the grand scheme of things. Not a bad return. That's the kind of gamble that I think Palace should have been taking. That's the kind of player that I would like to have seen Palace go for because you're you're ultimately if if you can score five or six goals i mean if we if we would if it's true that that everton were bidding nearly twice as much for mateta that in itself shows that you can sign a player doesn't do that great at crystal palace and you could still end up selling him for a profit but it just seems like palace's recruitment it's not so much the recruitment it's the execution of the recruitment that's the problem that that's what feels like the problem we're going to take a break, though, because um, we've got questions from our patrons and the time is running out on our Zoom call. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll be sending the guys another link and we'll join us in part two. Um, we'll look forward to having, having just a few questions from patrons. Join us then. Welcome back to part two of the five-year plan pod extra. Um, we've got some quite, I said pod extra, transfer special. I think it's going out on the main feed. If not, patrons get a, a special treat. That's great. Um, right, questions from patrons. Um, 
Uh, Ed G asks, are expectations for our new young signings unrealistically high? You think the, the expectations are, are high for Ahamada and uh, and Lakonga? Adam, Selzy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the difficulty is nobody really knows enough about them, having seen either of them on a very regular basis to give you a very sound judgment. So all uh, all rights will be reserved in this respect, I think, you know, in terms of of calling it. You've got to hope that they they do come in and make an impact because it's certainly an area that that we've needed, you know, strengthening and, 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 and better quality. And you just hope that that both of them are able to bring that and bring that quickly to us. You know, if the 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 the, the sort of feedback from the Arsenal side I've not I've not looked at too much or followed, but I did see bits that were so they weren't overly complimentary about uh um Albert, but the uh, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's a different opportunity at Crystal Palace and a different team in a different moment, and you know, it may be that he'll come and he'll come and thrive, you know. So, Ahamada, you know, is 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 even a lesser known quantity in that respect. But again, we've got to, you know, we've got to hope that that's a, a great discovery. I know it's somebody that they've had their eyes on for quite a long time. So, um, is, you know, I, I hope, I hope that, that, that these fellas work out really, we need them to, because if neither of these are able to make a, 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 a good difference to our, to our group, then it could be quite a tricky period for the rest of the season. Couldn't it? Yeah. What are your thoughts, Dom, in terms of, the the expectation side of things. Well, when the only signings of a, a window occur on the final day, and there is inevitably going to be a sense of expectation around it, definitely. I mean, I think and hope that that realism sort of tinges how people behave in the in the weeks to come, um, particularly with. You know, Ahmadu Amarada. Oh, I'm never going to spell it. Send his name. Ahamada, Ahamada, come on, Nehru, Ahamada. Um, not least because he's the one that's there for the long term. He's he's there beyond the summer, uh, and he's the one that we should be, you know, hoping forges a real partnership eventually with with Chitikure in 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 midfield. But uh, yeah, we, you just want to see. You just want to see evidence of the of the quality, particularly with Lekonga has got to it's got to hit the ground running. I mean, that's otherwise there's no point bringing a player in on a loan for four months. Um, he, he has to make an immediate impact. And as I say, I think there's a there is an element of risk there because he hasn't been enjoying the best of times of it at Arsenal, where he's very much been a fringe player, and the the runouts that he's had haven't been altogether convincing. But uh, yeah, it's it is what it is. It's uh, Let's hope they do make an impact. Let's hope that uh, let's hope that after seeing them play a couple of times, expectations are are even more swollen because they've done well. They've they've they've, they've made an impact and a positive one, and and Palace are benefiting from that. But I suspect that they'll I suspect that they'll need time. Um, and Lekonga isn't there for time. He's there for impact yeah. now. 
Do you think, um, we've got a question from Jacob H, and he says, do we think either of the new signings will start tomorrow at Man U? That's a, a quiet nod from Dom. But I just, I, I, you don't, look, it may be that, I, you don't you don't bring a player in on loan for four months and not play, pick him for one of the few games that he can play. He's not going to play against Arsenal in the in the fix we have at the Emirates still this season. So why wouldn't he play at Old Trafford? Yeah. Um, he's had presumably they they've trained Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for this game. They've had a bit of time to get used to him. Um, I I would anticipate that he starts the match. Yeah. Otherwise, I I you know it, it, for loan players it, there doesn't seem a lot of point. In, to put him on the bench and sort of ease him in because that's not why they're there. Uh, Ahamada are probably not. I suspect they'll be on the bench at best. Well, he has to be on the bench because we don't have that many numbers, do we? But, but uh, I, I, I suspect that he, he will get cameos for, from the start. Um, and let's hope that, look, I think Vieira's seen a bit of himself in him. I think he's, he likes his sort of leggy style in midfield. And uh, I think the same with Lacongo, actually, they both have cited the fact that Vieira is at the club. They want to, to learn from him, which is a brilliant, you know, a brilliant quality for Palace to have. It's a lure. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's hope that he does rub off on them and, and they, they end up playing something akin to Patrick in his pomp. We've had a question from Jack MK, and he says, as much we needed as we needed a central midfielder, which we got, or centre midfielders, uh, another striker should have been looked at, uh, uh, as well as a natural left back, as we don't seem to have one to compete with Mitchell. It does feel that way. Um, but I kind of, I made the argument on on the Twitter sphere that that, that was a can, clearly the Palace, that Palace clearly wanted to kind of kick down the road, and I can kind of see why they would have done that. Um, Adam, you've said that it concerns you because of the risk of, you know, that it could co- contribute to a relegation battle because we don't have enough depth. Dom, what are your thoughts on that, Dom? Do you think that we need, um, would have, I mean, in an ideal scenario, we'd have signed more players, but we didn't. So, yeah. Yeah, look, I think it's just, it's a legacy of of being in mid-table and, and having this sort of apparently relatively comfortable position which actually i think is a bit false i think when you i think you should have taken into account the recent form and 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 the immediate runner game still to come and if yeah okay you might have a very appealing set of fixtures coming up in april but if you've lost every pretty much every match since december uh, you're not going to be in a great place to attack those games with a flourish you're going to confidence is going to be fairly brittle by then so i, I think there is an there is an element of risk to it all um and it's exacerbated when Players are out for in, in, injured, you know, untimely loss of Wilfred Zaha. Um, but I can also see that if they and look, I'm placing an awful lot of trust in this, and I, I, I'm, on, I'm, I'm hoping. Well, I'm just saying, if 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 they haven't brought in cover at fullback on either side or up front, I can only assume. As a you know, as a, as an ambitious Premier League club, if you're an ambitious Premier League club, you don't do that in January. It's because you think you're going to do it in the summer, and you've got people lined up who are not available now, and you can get a better price uh, come the summer. Yeah. And that has to be that. That is the source of optimism that I have. It, it has to be like that 
Palace have to be thinking like that, and they then they have to deliver it in the summer because the summer's going to be a massive, massive changes again. I know that they're, you know, we've we've heard the, you know, IU getting the contract extension and Schlup contract extensions, etc. Vicente signing up as well. That is, you know, that's that's keeping good players at the club or keeping squad depth at the club, but that's not what makes you progressive. Yeah. progression is bringing in better players um so that's what they have to do in the summer and I, I just hope that i'm sure dougie freeman will have his lists i don't doubt that for a second i just hope that the the ownerships back back him in the summer and that they spend money that that makes us a, a, a better squad going into next season that's and that, that, there's so many assumptions there not least that we're in the premier league next season but but also that that the board is aligned and as we said in the se- in the previous section um but you know i i think the, th- the thing is dom for me it just I- i'm with jack mk in the you know as i've said to you earlier about the, the strikers there there are things it always seems to me like the squad in recent years is always unfinished you know there's always kind of gaps in it you know you go in and play start last season with Tyrick Mitchell as your only left back really and stuff like that you know it's kind of quite a risky strategy and it's not really a healthy one either I would say you know you need to have real strong competition if you're going to succeed all over the pitch you know and I think Tyrick in the main has been very good if he got injured tomorrow, what are we going to do? Play Gyro or Jeffrey Slap there, essentially, for the rest of the season? Or have to play Wardy or Kleine on the wrong side? Hmm. You know, and that's another area, obviously, that that we might look to do. So both fullbacks. But the bit that sort of really kind of got me was, for instance, loaning Malcolm to Hull City without bringing another player in first. And then Wilfred gets injured. So Malcolm, the other left-sided option that you might want to use, you've let him go and you've lost your your main man. So you're now two players down. You know, I just, as I said to you earlier, I'm perfectly happy for these players to go on loan, but not without bringing bodies in that give you some depth and some strength in that department. And mm. all we seem to do is sort of weaken it. And, and there seems to... I have to say, there's a distinct lack of urgency at times, I think, to tackle some of the problems that exist. And I I do think, you know, we have taken a massive punt here, hoping that we're going to get away with this forward situation between now and the end of the season. I really have. I only take one or two injuries and we're already struggling to score goals. I I, I agree with everything you just said. you're, You're right. That's 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 true, but I, I mean, and I'd also say that Palace are twelfth in the table, and I reckon every team above us has a better squad than us, and that includes, I mean, a more a well more rounded squad than us. That includes Brentford and Fulham, who have only been in the Premier League for five minutes. That, that I think that is I mean, that is the reality of it. I mean, I, I think actually a couple of teams below us probably have got better squads than us coming out of this window if the players make an impact. I, I mean. Leeds have quietly invested quite a lot of money in this window. I don't think they're a brilliant team by any stretch of the imagination. They'll be looking over their shoulders much more than we are at the moment. But 
if their players hit their strides, those ones that they brought in, Western McKemmy and, and, and the striker up, up top who can make a, an impact look promising with Patrick Bamford, albeit in the FA Cup at Accrington at the weekend, that they they could be a threat. Nottingham Forest have, have got so many players in their squad. I'm not saying that, that their transfer strategy is sensible. It's an absolute higgledy-piggledy mess, but they've got a hell of a de- deep depth to their squad because they can't even include four of the players and they're in the 25-man Premier League squad. I mean, that's, hey, not, yeah. that's not the way to go, is it? But it's that is, O'Brien, the, that is O'Brien, the reality. O'Brien was a player Palace were interested in yeah. when he moved south, and now he's not going to be playing at all this season. No, like, I mean, he was, he, was, he was going to Blackburn, and it was it was yeah. all happening, and then it didn't. I'd mm-hmm. also argue that, I mean, Leicester City have got their own issues, but do we realistically think that we're going to be finishing above Leicester? Well, I mean, I think it, we would have, at the beginning of the season, we would have raised an eyebrow if that was that was mooted as a possibility. So I, I, I think West Ham as well, you can argue as well. Look at the amount of money they spent last summer. It didn't work necessarily, I, but in time it might. I think the thing that you would say in, in response to all of that is if you were one of those teams, you'd probably rather have seven point, a seven point gap over, you know, over being a palace and not spending, you know, I think it's, it's difficult. I, I think that Palace will have looked at that team and said the midfield was the most pressing issue. And anyone that watched us this season will have said the same thing, that the midfield, the lack of intensity in midfield, the lack of kind of athleticism and physicality and presence in midfield has been the most pressing issue. It was for me, and I kept repeating it, because we look porous in midfield. And I think that once you fix that, that actually will, will actually hope, open up are attacking options a little bit more because it would, it, for me, having just the Kure doing a three-man midfield job was not going to work because all you had to do was shut him down. So now if you've got another capable midfielder, even if it's Lokonga turning up, you know, in in, in not great form, um, I look at, you know, Gallagher, for example, when he turned up at Crystal Palace, he wasn't, it wasn't like he came in massively confident. He'd just been at West Brom and got relegated the previous season. So you, you just, just the, 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 to me, the previous club is kind of, you have to treat that with the context of being that club and, and mm. the requirements that his manager would have put on him and, and, you know, the, the num the limited number of games that he was playing in that midfield. I know that he played against Man City in the league cup, but, We've seen plenty of Crystal Palace players not do well in, in in cup games when they've just randomly been picked. I think Will Hughes was was a great example. He didn't do that great against Southampton in the cup game, and yet after that against Man U and Newcastle, he did did okay. So I think I do think that the midfield was the most pressing issue. It would have been better if we'd have with, with Wilfred Zaha getting injured. I would have liked to have seen another attacker come in. I'm I'm really not as concerned about the fullback situation as. As everyone else, I'm, I'm sure we'll end up with someone getting injured tomorrow, and I'll regret those words. <laughs> but I do feel, I feel like we can soldier on. Right. In Nathan Ferguson's training, Rob, relax. Yeah, there you go. See, he might. You never know. He might actually be. He might actually find his fitness now. Who knows? We'll see. Um, very hope. quickly, we've got a few more questions. Um, just about the next, the summer window, essentially, and that is. Um, the first one is who goes in the summer because we need to move on and uh, who do we raise money with for replacements? And then Joe O has a similar question. He says, unfortunately, so that was from Tony W. Joe O says, unfortunately, bills have to be paid. Who do you see being the most likely to leave in the summer? And then Dave Manley says, uh, is the rebuild big uh, rebuild operation a bigger one than the one that P- Patrick uh, Vieira took, took charge of when he was appointed? 
So who do you see Palace, if they're going to sell someone, who do you think Palace are going to sell? Um, and is it going to be, is the recruitment task ahead of us uh, greater than the one that Patrick Vieira walked in on when he first took the Palace job? Mm, interesting. I, I think, you know, out potentially, I would, I, I don't, I'm not sure we'll sell anybody big, particularly dependent on the Wilf situation, because that's also going to be a, another one we're unsure of. You could see, you could see Tompkins possible Klein, but I'd probably keep him Wardy, Riedervald, Milivojevic, MacArthur um, coming to the end of their contracts and not being retained. You could see Mateta being moved on. But, you know, as you said, there's quite a lot of work to do, you know, particularly if we lose Wilfred as well. But I think they have a fighting chance of of uh, keeping Wilfred and you know I've heard I've had various conversations with people around that and um you know somebody else said to me the other day that that they're going to 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 fight very hard to uh to try and tempt him to stay so we'll see but there there is a there is a there is work to do I think as Tom said earlier you're going to need the two full backs you need cover at left back and and a right back, or if you can get Ferguson fit because he's a very decent player, then you know that's going to help massively. If we've got he and in another um, Tompkins, their midfield, you know, we'll have to see how this plays out now with what we've got and where that takes us. But definitely in attack, I I think we need. We potentially could need four forward players this summer because, again, even the low knees, if Jez is doing quite well at Charlton, for example, his next step is to play in the championship, not really to come back to Crystal Palace. And John Kamani Gordon's next step will be to play in League One and so on. And, you know, Malcolm, if he has a successful spell at Hull, that will help. He might need next year on loan as well before he's he's ready to uh, to really compete hard for a place in the in the side. So there is a, a bit of work to do, but perhaps I don't know if it's as big a rebuild as the one that we had two summers ago, because I think we've got a definite core of high quality, but we're gonna we're going to need to add to it. But as I said earlier, it would be great if we added to it without a feeling of, oh, well, we could really do with that, that and that, but we'll just deal with that in the next transfer window because by the time you get to that one and you've dealt with that, that and that, then there's something else that needs doing. It's always it's the puzzle that you never finish effectively, that you never complete. It's a bit like your life, really, the transfer policy and building a squad. You always something that, that needs doing or, 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 or you want to accomplish or improve, you know. And that, that should always be the case. And that's the the crux of our conversation tonight is it doesn't it doesn't always feel progressive. It feels a little bit, oh well, we better do something. We'll throw some money at it this time, but maybe not next time type thing. You know, I think it 
I, I think there are now, because of the ownership model, from what I understand, a lot of people involved in the decision-making over players that come into the club. That's right. not a good thing. Nothing ever happens. Nothing good ever happens when you're having to do everything by committee all the time because that's, you know, Steve and Dougie need to have the, the budgets agreed by the owners and get on with it, really, not have to not have to go to the investors, as I understand they do, saying, oh, can we sign Semenyo? Well, I like him. I've never heard of him. I don't want him. You know what I mean? It's it's That's not... That's not a, a, a situation that's that's healthy, and I think it, you know the the way that, that it's set up at the moment is there are too many people, you know, and you can argue it's it's you know they're putting the money in and whatever else, and and they need to be consulted to a point, but I don't think we should expect expect. Josh Harris or David Blitzer or John Texter to be particularly uh, au fait with who the best strikers are in the championship this season and and what their skill set is. Quite honestly, you know, um, and that's why you hire the Dougies of this world that have got a very good eye. I mean, Dougie is a is a character that that isn't universally popular with all and. I've certainly had my moments with him along the way, but one thing I'll tell you is that he does have a he does have a good eye for a player. Yeah. Well, we I think we're going to draw the podcast to a close there. Um, it's been really interesting having these discussions. I think we're we're really going to see what the midfield does tomorrow and what it does for the rest of the season, and whether this is a gamble that's kind of played out correctly for Palace. My hope, obviously, is that it, it does and obviously for everyone else it, it's the same um, but there's only there's only one way to find out and the proof is in the pudding we're going to see if that pudding is going to taste good at the end of the season or not um, if, if I've got anything to do with it probably not <laughs> but, um, but yeah uh, guys thank you very much for, for joining us um, and we're, we're going to have a post-match podcast tomorrow to look forward to as well uh, that will be for patrons so if you're not a patron sign up uh, and if you are, well, we'll, we'll be there tomorrow. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.